We know that in Matthew, Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. And in the New Testament, that is the first scripture that uses the word church. And so upon this rock then, we know who the rock is, right? It's not Peter. It's Jesus Christ. And even in Moses, the rock that followed them, who was the rock that followed them? It was Jesus Christ. So we can see that in um, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I believe it is. And we'll take the time to get all those scriptures to you as we go over the next several weeks. So just so you know, I'm not going to bring you a Christmas message. Um, There are things that God wants to lay in order and that God wants you to begin to recognize how it's working within yourself to establish the body of Christ in you and that he has designed it or foreordained it in a very specific way so that it does take you into perfection. That's the goal. So if we turn with me to 2 Timothy, I mean, excuse me, um, to Hebrews chapter 6 real quick. And we'll read in chapter 6 what, what the goal is. So it says this, Now in the past when we have spoken these things or talked about these things, especially in Connie and I's past, um, we preached it in such a way that the order of God was, first you had to repent, second you had faith toward God, third you had the doctrine of baptisms, and you had to experience them in a distinct and and defined order in your life. But what we want you to begin to understand today is that the doctrine of Christ is one doctrine. And that when the work of God laying the foundation in your life begins, you can experience Jesus Christ in any doctrine at any time to further the word of God in you. So I'll I'll tell you this. Anyone who's working faith toward God or working in faith toward God, has is repentance also working? Anyone that's working in the laying of on of hands are all the other doctrines doctrines working in order for that doctrine to work and the answer to that is yes the reason for that is it's not you working it if it is you working it you're already in a bad place but when christ begins to work it because he is the rock he is the foundation the cornerstone of all things when those things begin to work in you i have all the confidence that jesus christ is at work not you And it's easy to tell when you're trying to work it yourself. Connie and I have been talking about these things because in the past, that's exactly how we believed we had. If we had to repent, then there was a act of repentance, which is true. that had to take place. But we always repented of what? What did we repent of? Yeah, we repented of our own works or the works that we thought were contrary to the work of Jesus Christ. And. I'll be honest with you, in a form that is true. Because it's the, the doctrine is repentance from dead works, correct? Well, and we'll read that in just a moment. The problem is we don't know what's, what dead is. And so everything that we repented from, it was an aspect or a perception of how we looked at ourselves in the flesh in condemnation. That is not how God looks at you. And it's good to know that, isn't he? Isn't it? 
For we know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Right? And he sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, that, but that through Jesus Christ the world might be saved. And so God's perception of you in working, in believing in Jesus Christ is that your world's being saved. He's not work looking at you in condemnation through the eyes of sin. Because in God, what is there not? There's no sin. So God doesn't perceive you through a perception of sin. He only sees you as a, his son, knowing what the word of God is doing in you to perfect you, to bring you into everything that God has said from the beginning. I also gave you a definition on Wednesday night in, in uh, Abraham, in chapter 4. And we'll go to that in just a minute. Let me read this first. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Now, it doesn't say doctrines, right? It says doctrine, one, one doctrine. Let us go on into perfection. Now, Pastor Brian did such a great job of uh, establishing these things for us a little over a year ago, maybe two years ago now. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. So what does it say about it? How many times are you going to have to do it? Once. Once. We don't have to do it. Every time we approach God, we don't have to repent. Repentance is an eternal work. It's already there. It's a provision of believing in Jesus Christ. It works. Of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So Sarah and and. Abraham received a promise from God, did they not? And God said that you're going to have a son. God also had to come to Sarah and tell her, Sarah, at the appointed time, you are going to have a son. Because where was Sarah's mind? Was she believing God or not believing God? She was not believing God. Even to the point where she, she took her handmaid, Hagar, and offered her to her husband Abraham in order to bring about the promise of God. And God had to tell Abraham and Sarah together that, no, this is not the promise. It's not through your works. Believe in Jesus Christ, and you will have a son. Believe the word of God that I have sent, and you will have a son. And so then he came to Sarah alone, and he told her, he said, Sarah, you are going to have a son at the appointed time. And what did Sarah do? She laughed at God. So God had to teach her. God had to teach her that she was going to have a son. And that the promise was true. Do you know that every one of us is in the, we are in the way with Jesus Christ to be taught that the word of God is true. Isn't that awesome? Uh, and this we will do if God permits. So just as Abraham, or Sarah had to be taught that it's only going to happen if God permits it to happen, likewise for you, you're going to learn that it's only going to happen when God permits it to happen. The timing is the Lord's. The timing is not according to the flesh. It is according to the Spirit. The timing is yours. And so... I've heard it said many times by other elders that 
It can happen in one day or it can happen in a thousand years. And the choice is yours. What's the difference between it happening in one day or it happening in a thousand years? Believing but what? Okay. So doesn't it also say in the scriptures that whoever will let, will let, because there has to be what? A willing mind. A willing mind. So in unbelief, the willing mind doesn't work. Hear me. In unbelief, the willing mind doesn't work. And we can put off the day of salvation forever if we choose to in unbelief. So let's, just like the children of Israel in the, uh, the book of Hebrews, the same book that we're reading from now, why were they not able to enter into the promised land? Why were they not able to enter into the promises? Because of unbelief. It is, it is still the same. The word of God, Jesus Christ, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Jesus today is establishing in you a foundation that works to bring about everything that he has said, everything that he has done, and everything that he's going to finish in you. And it's important for us to begin to understand that that foundation hasn't changed from the beginning. It is the same. And so when the Bible says it's that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, is it the word of God that is speaking to you that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever? And it's hard for us to fathom, well, but the New Testament is the New Testament, and the Old Testament is the Old Testament. What makes it new? Allowing God, through Jesus Christ, to change my perception. That's what makes it new. So what God said in the beginning, God is still saying today, but the way I receive it in Christ Jesus, I'm receiving it in the mind of Christ and not from the fleshly mind. That's the difference in it. So it becomes very important for us to not only believe the word of God, but let God do the work and us get out of the way of what God wants to perform in us. So we do have a part in it. What's our part in it? It's believing, right? What else? Okay. So obedience becomes a big part in the working of God. So we have said much for the last year and a half about keeping the sayings of Jesus, correct? How many of you understand what it means to keep the sayings of Jesus? You can, you can address the question, what do you think it means to keep the sayings of Jesus? Yeah, John. Okay. To stay in the apostles' doctrine? Yep, not go off on your own. Okay. Anyone else? Say that again. Okay. Stay in the mind of Christ which is staying in the Apostles' Doctrine, right? Pretty much. Let me ask you something. When Jesus came out of Galilee, what did he say? Okay, repent. No, he did not say be baptized. He said repent for the kingdom of heaven 
is at hand. That's what he said. He came out of Galilee preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So why would he say repent? Why did he, that was the first doctrine that he gave to Israel, repent. Why is that? Have you ever thought about it? You have to put yourself aside and turn to God. That's why. Do you know Paul, who was Saul, had a mind that was contrary to God? I mean, he believed he had the mind of God. Correct? And in that mind of God, what was he willing to do to Christians? He was willing to persecute those who believed in Jesus Christ. Because Paul hadn't, hadn't come through the law, Paul did not was not capable of seeing Jesus as the Son of God. That's what happens when we become legalistic within ourselves to the Word of God. It keeps us from seeing our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of us today, we believe that we have Jesus. And yet our mind is still bogged down in religion, in the law, to the point that we say we have Jesus, but yet our mind is legalistic or divergent from what Jesus teaches. How come? Why is that? Okay, that's one good reason, John. We think we already know. What else? Sorry. Sure? That, that, that keeps the eyes blinded to the truth? Right, Chris? So, it, because you said thought. Sure. Yep. And all those teachings, what? Right, because the, the, right, the truth will do what for you? Set you free. Make you free. Yeah. So that's the difference in it. So I can be as religious as a Pharisee believing in Jesus Christ. Hear me. I can be as religious as a Pharisee and call and say I believe in Jesus Christ. So what haven't I not experienced? Huh? You have not experienced Jesus Christ. So the, the doctrines of Jesus Christ become so important because in the doctrines are all the experiences of the Word of God that take you into perfection, take you into the mind of Christ to where you're the, you're the finished product of God. So, Frankie, let me ask you a question. If you say you were walking today and you, didn't, and you knew no sin in your mind, what would be how do you think your what do you think it would look like? What do you think things would look like to you? Okay? That's a good answer. I don't know. Connie, what do you think they'd look like? Could you ascend into the heavens, get a word from the Lord, and let the Lord send you back into the earth to preach it? Could could you go in and out? And would you address sin or would you address the righteousness of God? God, that's amazing. Think about that. Jesus never addressed sin. He only addressed the righteousness of God. And in addressing the righteousness of God, what became known? The sin. 
Did he know that would happen? Oh, I would think so. No doubt in my mind. So if I begin to lay the foundation What, what were we just talking about? Having a mind free from sin. Yep. So how many of us t- today still look at ourselves through the eyes of sin? Okay. And so all we can see is our imperfections. So is that, isn't that the same as the children of Israel not being able to enter into the promised land because of unbelief? Is it the same? It's the same. It's the same. <laughs> we, we don't like being told that, correct? But it's true. It, it's the same. And so, Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So if we look, if we repent and turn, and turn towards God in Jesus Christ, what can we enter? We can enter into the kingdom of God, correct? So, let's go back to Paul for just a moment. Because Paul had letters to destroy Christianity from the high priest. He had letters to do it. And he was a Roman soldier. He was a Pharisee, right? And uh, actually he was a chief Pharisee in his mind because no one knew the word of God or knew the law better than Paul did in his own mind. And so... The day, the moment that he met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, correct? He met Jesus. Now, all of that knowledge in him, in the blink of an eye, what happened? Well, he definitely said, because the Lord said, right? Isn't it hard for you to kick against the pricks? In other words, isn't it hard for you to kick against the word of God? And immediately Paul said what? Or Saul said what? Well, yeah. What will you have me to do? And immediately his life was changed. I was talking to a deacon yesterday about this very thing. Not about what happened with with Saul, but what happens within ourselves. Do you know that God is working through the word to bring each and every one of us experientially to the place where we find the beginning of ourselves in sonship? I've said this before. I've I've preached it many times. Because until we find that place of beginning, until each and every one one of us finds that place of beginning where the mind becomes converted as it was for the apostles, the apostle Paul, we're just going to keep cycling in our sin. We're going to continue to cycle in a parable that hasn't been healed. And so when Paul came to the end of himself, all of a sudden, he knew where he was. He knew that he was now in Christ. And in Christ, man, did it change his life? Incredibly. Incredibly. And it's the same for us also. So I was talking to this deacon yesterday, and and this Deacon began to tell me about the experience he had where he now understood. I mean, he'd been in church since he was born. And 
been under all these different pastors and had been believed all this different stuff that people had taught him. But when he came to his beginning in Jesus Christ, he then understood that he could lay all that aside and begin to believe God and that God would do the work. So I gave you a definition on Wednesday night. And I'm going to go to Romans, the fourth chapter. And I want you to hear this because when we talk about believing, um, we, ha- we believe in many, many things, right? I mean, we say we believe in Jesus. Thank God for that. But um, there's a lot, also a lot of other things that we believe in in this life because we, we can see them, touch them, feel them, da-da-da-da-da. We have the five senses working, and those things become our reality. But when it comes to believing the Word of God and touching God, excuse me, he's, he's not a tangible object. He's intangible. He's spirit. And yet, there's something there that we miss because, in, and we're going to go to 1 John next and lay out some things. Because our God is capable of being touched and handled in the Spirit. He's giving you the tools to where he, in the, you become Spirit as He is Spirit, and now you know the Father. You can touch the Father. You can hear Him. You can taste Him. You can feel Him. You know He's present. But it's a work of the Spirit in you by the Word of God that brings you into that sense that knowing. So let me, this, this believing thing. So I'm, I'm going to start with um, verse 18. No, I'm going to verse 17. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickened the dead and called those things which be not as though they were. So God performed, gave Abraham this word, made him a promise, sealed him with the covenant, correct? Now, everything that Abraham did from that day forward, God was working. So did God test the word that he put in Abraham? He did. Even to the point that Ishmael was born. So one thing I want you to understand is the word of God in Abraham that God put there, It worked so well that Ishmael came forth to teach Abraham and Sarah who Ishmael was not. That's important for us to hear. Who created Satan? God did. Why did God create him? So we could learn. So we would know who God is not. Does God say in the scriptures that he created good and evil? He does. How else will we know? We can't know unless God teaches us. God puts it all before us and begins to teach us and separate in the mind the things that are God and the things that are not God. And Jesus Christ being the chief priest declares in us clean and unclean. 
And it's a very powerful thing that God has done for all of us. Let me go on. Yes. You're talking about Abraham with Isaac. Yes. Sure. Was, what was that a type and shadow of? Say it again. Say it again. Okay. So, all th- when God makes covenant with any, any person, just like we're going to talk about, talk, this morning we're talking about laying the foundation. Is God going to bring you to a place in laying the foundation where the tempting or testing of God brings you to the place where the very promise that God hath given you as a son, that son is going to have to die? And the answer is yes. Most assuredly, so when Abraham had to bound, bind Isaac and lay him on the altar and raise the knife over his hand, what did God do? He provided a sacrifice. Just like he is. This is why we become so resistant in, to the word of God that when God asks us to sacrifice everything that we are, give it up, we haven't come to a place in our mind where we believe that Jesus Christ is the acceptable sacrifice. But when we do, who do we see on the cross? We see ourselves. Because now the man of sin is known. Oh, all the elders have had the dream. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, these things become... Let's say it becomes the measuring rod of the Word of God in you. And these things, if, if the Word of God is true and I'm believing God, then uh, the Son of God that God says that I am, what's going to happen to him? Is he not going to become a partaker in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only is he going to die, but what else is going to happen to him? He's going to be raised up again in the power of the resurrection. Does that have to happen? And the answer to the question is yes. So even, um, was it Jacob that was sold into slavery? Joseph, thank you. So did God make covenant with Joseph and um, give him dreams and when he told the dreams to his dad and his and his brothers, they they get, were jealous because they believed that Joseph was exalting himself over them. But who gave him the dream? God did, and they became so jealous. What did they do with their brother Joseph? Huh? They threw him in a pit and told their dad what that he died and told the dad told Isaac that he was dead. Correct? So then what happens to Joseph? It gets sold and goes where? Where does he go? He went into the world. He was sold and went into the world, went into Egypt. What was God doing in all of that? Salvation was working. God was preparing the way for Israel to be saved. That's where we get lost in the work of God. We look at our circumstances in the flesh 
and see what's happening to us and we lament, oh my God, how did I get, how can this, if I love God, if I believe in God, how did I get in this, how did I get here? Not knowing that what God has vested in you in his son, through his son, Jesus Christ, has a greater end for you than you know. Is God looking at the short period of time we live this life? Or is God looking at who he is in the eternities of all things? How is he looking at it? Through his eyes and through the eternity of all things. So what we have to uh, prepare our mind for is that in Jesus Christ, now what we call our world is now actually becoming what? An eternity. It's becoming the work of God from beginning to end. And how that all takes place, we're going to know, but I'm going to tell you that how it's going to take place right now, you may not be prepared for. Do you know that all the apostles had many things they wanted to say and teach and they couldn't do it? How many times did Paul say, hey, I'd love to teach you the deeper things of God, but you're not ready to receive them. I still have to feed you the milk of the word of God. Likewise, the reason we're going to lay the foundation of, of the house of God today is so that we can go on to perfection. That's why it needs to be done. God has great power. And God has great need. And the great need for you, that he has for you is for you to believe that that word that he has put into you is all-powerful. And that what God has said, he will do. And he wants you to be firm and know that it is true. Now listen to this. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And not being weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. So through faith, he didn't even consider his age, correct? He didn't consider how dead he was in his age and that he was not able to, to, uh, to give forth seed and that Sarah's womb was not, no longer able to receive seed, that the processes of those things were not working anymore. He didn't look at it that way because he heard the word of God and he believed God. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Now, here's believing. Being fully persuaded that what God had promised, God was able also to perform. And this is why God imputed righteousness. Not because of the works of Abraham, it's because Abraham believed that what God had said, God would do. And when Abraham believed that what God had said, God would do, and was fully persuaded in it, God, God counted Abraham as himself, as righteous. Because only God is righteous. It's amazing how we are so willing to judge others based upon our own perceptions of sin. Not of righteousness, 
but of sin. Yet when we get the mind of Christ, how many people did, did Jesus judge? Zero. Didn't even judge himself. But he did say this, if I were to judge, I have the truth. And it will be a righteous judgment. A judgment not based on the perception of sin, but a judgment based upon the perception and knowing of the truth. Big difference in life, huh, Frankie? Wow. Are those things true? I believe they are. I think it's the greatest reality we're ever going to know. Okay. I'm going to go to 1 John. Chapter 1. Now listen to the way this opens up. That which was from the beginning. So I talked earlier about finding that place in you from the beginning. Correct? Coming to that beginning in your mind. Because it's important. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, because when you come to that place of beginning, now all of a sudden your eyes are open to what? The testimony of Jesus Christ, right? Because you now are, you've come to the place where you have no testimony of yourself. You only have the testimony of one, and that one being Jesus. That's awesome. You know what took me out of Pentecostalism? Was that the preacher or the man that raised me up into uh, ministry, the man that raised me up and, or, and ordained us in, in ministry in the house of God, his testimony was not of Jesus. His testimony was of himself. And when I began to understand that testimony, God put that to an end and brought me into, of all places, living fellowship. And so, one thing for sure, I will tell you this, that I do believe the Word of God. It's just like when I was growing up in the Christian church, and, I mean, I can't tell you how many elders I asked my questions of, including my dad, my father, in this life. And the questions I would ask them, I had an expectation of being told an answer. And the answer I almost always got was that, well, we're not going to know these things until we go to heaven. But here's the, but, which is a right answer, I'm going to be honest with you. It's just that none of them could tell me how to get there. And they were all referring to the, the, to the flesh. Yeah. It's imperative that when we begin to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're not relating it to a life in the flesh. We're relating it to a life in the spirit. And so at that point in, my, in time, God ended my walk in the Christian church. He ended it. And when I say the Christian church, I, we, went to, we went to University Christian Church, which is now Parkview Christian Church, which is a at that time was the Disciples of Christ denomination, which is not, it's not anymore. Now that's, they're all independent Christian churches. But still bound by the same doctrines, pretty much, just so you know. Because my folks are still there. Connie's folks were there until they passed away. And, and uh, we still have friends and family there. But 
Um, and they still don't understand the reality of life in Jesus Christ in entering into heaven. So the Apostle Paul, when he got converted, doesn't he testify in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that I know a man, whether in the body or out of the body, such a man went into the third heaven and began to hear the word of God in such a way that it was not lawful for him to speak it to another man. That's awesome. Because who's going to speak it to all men? Jesus Christ is. That's why he's been sent. And so every man in his own order. And I praise God for the order that he has put before all of us. So that which was from the beginning we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled the word of life. So now all of a sudden, God who couldn't be seen and touched and heard in the mind of flesh, in the mind of spirit, becomes the reality of the mind. God now is real. Isn't that awesome? I, I believe that. For life was manifested. For the life was manifested. And we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Now let me ask you something. Do you believe that that life can be manifested in you? I believe it. I think that's the whole story. And so for, in order for that life to be made manifest, what do you have to build upon? Whose foundation? The foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, according to the Word of God. But even more importantly, every Word of God forms the foundation of God in you. And if we think that we can lay another foundation, well, we're gonna, we can read in 1 Corinthians chapter, I think it's chapter 3, that that is not true. But we're going to read it anyway. Because the reality of all knowledge in Christ Jesus, the knowledge of the holy, is what I'm talking about. Paul had a, Saul had a knowledge of the holy. But what did it lack? Why, what, what did Paul lack? I mean, what did Saul lack? I mean, he knew the word of God. He didn't know Jesus. He didn't, have the, he didn't have the Spirit of God. And without Jesus, there's no Spirit. The prophets in the Old Testament, how could they receive the Word of God and prophesy to the children of Israel? How could they do it? Oh, they did. They didn't must have had. They had. They had Jesus. That's why when you go into uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Ezekiel, Daniel, who do they all testify of? They all testify of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. So, when the Ethiopian eunuch, he goes, God's in him, and God is, God's saying, go to Jerusalem and worship. So the Ethiopian eunuch goes to Jerusalem to worship God. And he comes out of the temple and he gets in his chariot 
and he begins to read the scriptures, correct? And he doesn't know what he's reading. So God sends to him a deacon named Philip. Sends to him to him in the spirit. Translated Philip in the spirit. And Philip approaches the eunuch and says, what are you reading? Well, I really don't know what I'm reading. I need somebody to teach me. So Philip gets up in the chariot. And begins to and they begin to read from Isaiah, the 58th chapter. And Philip begins to expound to him the gospel of Jesus Christ. Old Testament, Frankie, because they didn't have the New Testament. Except now, the Old Testament had become what? It had become new. Because now they could see and hear Jesus in it. And so the eunuch, as the deacon is, deacon Philip is speaking to him, teaching him the gospel of Jesus Christ out of Isaiah 58. All of a sudden, the eunuch, a quickened, anointed word comes into his mind. And he says, what hindereth me from being baptized? Oh. So were repentance and faith toward God already working? How do you know? How about because he went to Jerusalem to worship God? He was seeking the Lord. He was seeking God. What did hinder me from being baptized? And they stopped that chariot. And they got down off that chariot. I mean, because there's a pool of water there. No telling what it looked like. But, right? It was alongside the road. Was it the pool of water that that was the necessity? Or was it the watering of the Word of God by the Spirit that was the necessity? It was a mind that was agreeing with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when that mind agreed with Jesus... Philip could perform that word of God for that Ethiopian eunuch. And the Ethiopian eunuch was changed in the twinkling of an eye. The mind of Christ was at work. What happened to Philip then? As soon as they came up out of the water, what happened to Philip? He was taken away in the spirit. I don't know about you guys, but I believe with all my heart and with all the intent that is in the mind of God that these are the things that God has made ready for us today. I know they are. If I read the book of Acts, is Acts true or not true? Is it mythology or is it truth? What is it? Is true? How do you know? Huh? Because we've said it's true, right? So in the working of the Spirit, is the book of Acts going to be performed in you by that same Spirit? The answer is, in my mind, absolutely. It's true. You ever been in the Apostle Peter when he 
when he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and all of a sudden the multitudes come? And when the multitudes are gathered together, by the word that's in Peter's mouth, by the Spirit of God, and Peter begins to declare that gospel that has lit his life on fire, what happens to the multitude? They're saved. Thousands in a day. Thousands in a day. Is that in the physical place or is that in the mind of Christ? It's in the mind of Christ where it only can work in truth. And the manifestation of those things is great. My gosh, we've been at this thing for almost an hour already. I'm just getting started. We hadn't even touched on where I wanted to go in Nehemiah this morning. Well, I guess we'll get there on Wednesday night, huh? I'll even meet on Tuesday and Thursday if you want to. Because these things are, it's, this is the appointed time for these things to be taught into the mind. And for us to begin to lay the foundation of the house of God. And what God's going to do in that foundation is going to blow your mind. Because it's going to be a work that you've never thought of. I guarantee you. Guaranteed. Wow. I, let me go to 1 Corinthians. Chapter 3, I believe. I know I can hear lots of thoughts. Believe me. In you. I'm going to read this. And this will just, just as a prompting. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I have laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? So who can lay a foundation? Jesus Christ can. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day of the Lord will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. How many of you understand the baptism of fire? Is it a doctrine of Christ? Yes, it is. So, what do you think the fire of God is going to do in us? Is it going to purge the floor? That's why I'm, I'm really excited to take, take us into Ezra and Nehemiah. Because when you read it in the Old Testament about the things they did as they laid the, uh, established the foundation for the house of God, and then built the house. The way they sanctified the priesthood and to make Israel Israel once again for the truth to become an ensign or a light unto the people. They think that what they did to establish it, you read that and you're like, oh my gosh, that's like, that's like the most oppressive thing I've ever read in my life. Because we want to put it where? We want to put it outward, not inward. But I'll say this to you, that what we're about to see performed in us all as we lay the foundation of the house of God in order is those things will come to pass. 
in the mind of all of us to build the church. And it's going to be awesome. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test. Now listen. The fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. So what's gonna ha- what has to happen to the work? It's going to be tried by fire. And if it survives, what's at the end of it? The reward. So now, if you want to judge the work of God in you, what's God going to do for you? He's going to light the fire. And how does the fire come? By the word of God and by the Holy Ghost. So John said it this way. I indeed baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Because he's a master purger. He's a master purger. And the Bible says that not one thought of flesh and blood will enter into the kingdom of God. Not one. Wow. Turn it up, Lord. Right? Isn't that what our prayer is anyway? We want to be tested by the Word of God. We want to know that what God is doing is for sure and true. Because it's going to become the experience or it's going to become what takes place in us by faith is the speaking of that truth that is the reward. And if that reward is what we speak, then doesn't it have to be clean? Doesn't it have to testify of the true work of God through Jesus Christ? It does. And we should want it to. Amen? Wow. So, I hope I've kindled something in your minds today as to the direction of God that we're headed And let the refiner's fire begin to burn in your heart and in your mind. And as it begins to burn, let it purge out all those things that are not wanted of the Lord. So that the things that are wanted of the Lord, the need of God, begins to burn in your mind and your heart that he might build his house. Amen? Amen. God bless you today.